Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to A Thousand Tiny Steps. In this podcast, I share my stories of love, loss, triumphs, and tragedy as I continue to trace my steps backward and ponder what led to the death of my daughter, Molly. If you're ready to laugh, cry, shake your head in disbelief, or simply listen, and tie, buckle, slip on, or lace up your shoes, and join me as we begin our A Thousand Tiny Steps. All right. Hey, everybody. Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to episode 97 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. So when I first started this whole podcast idea, I was way in over my head. It took me months to get going. But what happens when you talk about anything near your cell phone is suddenly your cell phone is full of ads and social media around whatever you're talking about. So I was starting my podcast and doing all the preparation work for it. And all these podcasts started coming up in my social media. And this podcast came up called OK Yup. And I looked at it closely and the picture on the graphic was a Libby with like a (laughs) coffee cup on her head. And so I thought, what the heck am I looking at? So anyway, I'm starting my new sort of realm in podcasting with having some guests every once in a while. So I thought, what better way to start the guest feature of my podcast than to invite somebody that, even though she's young enough to be my granddaughter, probably, I learn a ton from every day. So Libby, welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps. Thank you. (laughs) This is so fun. As I said, sort of just there, I was so overwhelmed in the beginning. And so I binged your podcast one day. So if you could just tell me what made you think to do a podcast and how'd you come up with a name and just sort of the sort of a basic history of OK Yup. Yeah. So I started it in the fall of 2020. I think September was kind of when I was brainstorming and thinking of it. Everyone was kind of into TikTok then and I didn't have TikTok. Wow. Now I do, but back then I was like, I'm not getting TikTok. And so all my all my friends were kind of, you know, talking about going viral on TikTok and I was like, maybe I sh- I'll try something else to like reach a medium. And at this time, my school was still remote in the fall and every other school from my home friends, they went back, you know, because of COVID. So here I was alone in bow, in bow <laughs> with nothing to do. The summer before was a difficult summer just with, obviously it was COVID, different social aspects. And then kind of not going back to school was done in pieces. So first I was told that, you know, I'd still run cross country, but there'd be no competition. And then they took away it completely. And then they said, oh, well, you know, you can go back to school, but it might be limited. And then it was, no, you can't go back to school. So it was kind of done in these parts. And so each time this news came out, it was like, oh oh my gosh, what more can happen? And so I kept a really good routine during this time. I knew that if I, you know, let myself sleep all day, if I let myself, you know, not really have a good routine or schedule, it would be a worse experience for me. And so I got up and I even made a challenge to run the different cross-country courses that I did in high school in the area, just because I was like, you know, I need something to do. I started with, you know, the Dairyfield course and I kind of went from there. We lived a nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, it was terrible. In September, as everyone's loving TikTok, I was like, you know what, I need something to be creative with and I need a new way to be creative because, you know, my days were pretty stagnant. I got up around eight. I went for a run. I did my school. I went to work. I worked at a smoothie place at the time. I got home, did my homework. I went to bed. It was just very stagnant. And isolating, I bet. Yeah, it was very isolating. And so yeah, I decided I need to be creative somehow. And I have always really had kind of a liking and a passion for mental health and you know, understanding everyone's perspectives and gaining new experiences. So I decided to 
you know, have a shot at podcasting. And so when I started to plan it out a little bit, I decided on the name, okay, yep, because that's kind of my go-to phrase whenever someone says something. So if someone's like, oh, we have to get up at 5 a.m. for this meet tomorrow, I'm like, okay, yep. That's kind of just my saying when I don't know what else to say. That makes perfect sense. So I kind of decided on that. And it's funny, my original graphic was some like stock image and it wasn't very well edited, but then, you know, further into the year, I think around like December, I then created the graphic. And so, yeah, kind of went from there. I used to be a lot more regular with my scheduling because I had nothing to do now being in grad school, but yeah. you know, for the past few years, being at college, being an athlete, doing all the things I've been doing, it's yeah. harder to find time, but I still try to make the time when I can. So I came upon it in the summer of 2021. So you had almost a year under your belt. Mm-hmm. And so I listened to all of them. And actually you gave me a lot of confidence because you just came on and talked like you just sounded like Libby. You didn't sound like Mm -hmm. you were following a script or being all formal. And the whole theme of my podcast was just to tell my life story, (laughs) which is never dull. So you're 22. So you started your podcast when you were 20 or 19 turning 20. Yeah. I was 19. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. One thing I love about podcasting, and I don't know if it's been this way for you. I think it has based on how your life was at the time that you started a podcast is I sit here in my living room and I'm by myself and I feel safe and secure because it's a place I love. And I talk to myself, right? So then when I'm done, I always listen to make sure it isn't terrible. And then I send it off to be edited, but then the world can listen. So I almost feel like I'm having therapy with myself. Like I tell a story, then I listen and then I send it off and then it's published and then 500 people listen. So now 500 people that I don't, some I don't know, have listened to the same thing that I was comfortable talking about in my living room. I've just learned so much about myself from it. What has podcasting done for you? It's definitely made me realize that we all share similar struggles that you wouldn't know people are dealing with. I remember one of my podcasts that kind of got the most, two of them really reached people the most, I think. And it was the one where I talked about my eating issues. And then one where I talked about how my start to college was a really anxious time for me. And so people really resonated with this. And some people I knew, some people I didn't know were writing in and saying that it helped them realize that like, they're not alone in this, you know, for the college one. I don't know, everyone, when you're going into freshman year of college, everyone's telling you it's gonna be the best year of your life. And it's going to be amazing. But that wasn't my experience. I liked it. But first semester was hard. It's, It's a big adjustment. And so, you know, people would be like, oh my gosh, I felt that same way. And I, it took me a while to get adjusted to college. I'm so glad that someone else felt that way. Cause no one talks about how it's isolating at that time. So I think just being able to realize that we're all human and we're all sharing these experiences. Right. Just, we don't talk about them. Yeah. We don't talk about much at all. I remember succinctly, you know, I went to college 40 years ago and my freshman year first semester was horrible. I felt like I was on a vacation that I didn't sign up for. Mm-hmm. And then every time I went home, home wasn't the same either. So nothing felt right. Like nothing felt like home. School didn't feel like home. Home didn't feel like home. And it was just this unsettled. And I know for me, I came home for Christmas and I brought everything with me. I emptied my dorm room and my roommate's like, are you coming back? And I'm like, I don't know. And then I was like two weeks at home and I'm like, oh, I'm out of here. (laughs) Like, like it was Christmas break was like, okay, bazinga. But you're right. There's a lot that people don't talk about. I find too, that we put a lot of pressure on high school seniors to pick the perfect college. Just pick one. Mm -hmm. You're going to be surrounded by people your age. And if it sucks, you can go to a different one. Like my observations of you when you were in high school was that you took everything very seriously and meticulously, and it all had to be in its place and ordered. And you're a little worry line. It's not that you have any, but I do. Oh, yes. But it was th- that's something I remember a lot about you. So it's wonderful that, that you share those things. 
I have to say, when I listened to your eating disorder one, I got so sad. So for me as a coach, all I want to do is keep my runners safe and protected. And so it really made me go back and rethink. And, and, and you and I talked somewhat about these things. I remember mm-hmm. a bunch of you became vegan or vegetarian. Wasn't there a group of you that did I that? Think there was, there was yeah. a group that did that, yeah. And I remember I'm always on guard for that just because it's so prevalent, especially in women's athletics and especially in mm-hmm. women's running. It's a very, very predominant, prevalent thing. But I never knew that it was that much of a, of a stress for you. And so that was a learning experience for me. You know, I'm not coaching high school athletes, at least cross-country athletes right now. So it's not something I deal with all the time. But I had a long conversation recently with a man that comes to, to one of the CrossFit gyms I coach at, and he has all this body image stuff. He had to take his shirt off because it was hot. And he goes, all I could think about was people looking at my love handles. Mm-hmm. You don't think of guys having issues like that. No. Was sharing it helpful for you? Obviously, it's helpful for other people, but issues around food are tricky. I would always tell my health students, get addicted to alcohol because you can quit it. You can avoid it and you can't avoid food. You always have to figure out a a way to dance with it. You don't have to get super personal if you don't want, but how is all that for you now? Yeah, so definitely in high school, especially for the first like year or two, I'd say everything kind of started sophomore year of high school. I didn't really know that it was a problem maybe until junior year springtime and it was just a very obsessive I had a very need for control and I've even come to a revelation recently of some different things that have happened in high school and it was around the same time that junior year spring that I needed to take control back I think that subconsciously that was my way of doing it you know I would always count calories I would skip a bunch of meals i unhealthily force food out of my system, you know, all these kind of, kind of different ways. Yeah. And the list goes on, you know, in terms of my food, I had a long list of food fears. And what's interesting is I look back at my pictures because I, I have in like my Snapchat, my eyes only of my pictures from that time of me in high school. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I took, and I remember taking these pictures as this is my before picture. This is my before I, I lose weight. And I'm looking, I'm like, there, there's nothing I can do. There's like, like there's I, no way to I, lose. <laughs> no. Right. And what's interesting is, you know, I went to college and in high school, I never drank. I never did any of that. But freshman year of college was the first time I really experienced that just with drinking for the first time, kind of going out multiple days a week, coming back, eating. I gained a lot of weight freshman year. And I'll do. (laughs) Yeah. And what's interesting is that was the one year of my life where I probably had the least eating issues when I was, you know, binge drinking and eating a lot after these nights out and I gained 15, 20 pounds. And that was somehow the year I came to terms with my body and my weight that summer going into when I started this podcast, you know, I, it was COVID. I had nothing to do. So I would just run for hours, not in an unhealthy way, but I was just like, there's nothing to do. That kind of helped me get to a more on track place. Right. But yeah, I think talking about it and I like to do these, these kind of yearly check-ins of, I have like three renditions of, you know, body image and how each right. year, I mean, it's one of those things where it's never going to leave. Like I'm always going to have it in some capacity. It's just going to be how I deal with it. I think being an athlete, especially a runner, that was my, one of my reservations for doing it in college, because I don't have the typical runner's body. I'm, I have a very like muscular build. I am not this super lean, long legged. Like I just have a different runner's body. And that was a really, that was a reservation of mine. And so during my junior year, because of some eating stuff and relapsing that summer before junior year, I had really bad anemia. And so I'd be running 
I'm like, why am I seeing stars? Why is my heart pounding out of my chest? Why do my legs feel like they're not moving? And so I had to start meeting with dietitians, which was really helpful. But like I said, it's one of those things where it's always going to be right. in my life somehow, but it's going to be how I manage it. I think now more than ever, knock on wood, it's been going great. I've come to terms with a lot of things. Well, and you can see it. You can, you obviously have to develop the ability to step out of yourself and turn around and look back at yourself. Yeah. And then you can see you and you can see the eating issues as something mm-hmm. separate from the you that's looking at them. I'm yeah. not surprised at all that the partying and binge drinking and the eating all this, when you look at addiction and an eating disorder is just another form of addiction. People get addicted to a lot of different things, but what it does physically in your body, and maybe you know all of this, but it's all about dopamine and serotonin and, and all the hormones that are secreted in our body. And so anxiety, anxiety, cortisol, cortisol, epinephrine, epinephrine, need to calm it down, need to calm it down, throw up your food, cut your skin, pull out your hair, drink alcohol, snort cocaine, smoke pot. What you do to deal with it is different, but what happens inside your body is the same thing. You have this rush. Oh, I feel so much better now. Then you have the regret. Oh, I'm so hungover. Oh my God, I threw up again. Or, oh no, I'm bleeding. You know, like, and then the whole cycle just repeats itself. It's, it's scientifically speaking, it's hard to read sometimes. And you wonder how anyone ever stops being addicted. The bane of my existence is, and always has been alcohol. And I can quit. I remember teaching a health class once and saying, oh, I quit drinking all the time. And this student in my class goes, you know, you just admitted to relapsing all the time. And I'm like, oh yeah. I was looking at it like, look at me. I can quit anytime I want. I've done it a million times. And he's like, so you've relapsed a million times. (laughs) Yes. And this is a much better lesson than I thought. But I often say, you know, alcoholics have a hard time getting sober in a bar. And so you can quit drinking by just avoiding alcohol and you can't quit eating issues by quitting eating, you know? Yeah. So I have a lot of respect and and healthy admiration for people with issues around food. I hate being hungry and I hate getting sick. And it was just never my go-to. Not that, believe me, I was a distance runner in the eighties. And when you have a coach pinch the inside of your thigh and say, gee, another, you know, if this wasn't Mm -hmm. here, you might run faster. I will say that my college coaches have been amazing and there's never been any pressure and you know they're always keeping us eating they're always keeping us in a healthy spot you know getting us to dietitians if, if we need it and they're yeah. they're very luckily I've never had the experience of you need to lose weight to run faster you need to do this it's been great in that regard I'm glad to hear that just as a former collegiate athlete that female bodies are just unique and they can be so susceptible and respond so quickly to things good and bad that it takes a big thinking coach to not get caught up in, oh my God, 10 pounds and she'd run 10 seconds faster. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you know, is that the most important thing here? How about the person's health? So right. that's a good conversation to have, especially a collegiate athlete in college talking about it in present tense, rather than, you know, like me talking about something that happened to me 40 years ago. So I knew you, I met you actually eighth grade. I was going through pictures and there was a mm-hmm. picture of you and Sarah Ciotti. You were together in your eighth graders and either your mom or Sarah's mom sent it to me like next year. And then your freshman year came. So your sister ran before you Mm -hmm. and she was a senior, my first year coaching in bow. You had four years of high school running just cross country. Then you did Nordic and tennis. Yes. Yes. And then what made you decide to try track when you got to college? Well, that sophomore year, when I finally decided to, you know, have a go at it again, I, I was really burnt out from high school it's yeah. it's a lot it's it's a lot and three seasons of, of different sports it was all you know two of them were really aerobically involved and so I remember getting my recruitment letters from different school and like tearing them up and throwing yeah. them away and I remember on the bus to the state meet senior year me and Sarah were in the back of the bus and I was like 
this is my last race. I'm not doing this again. Even during that race, I checked out so much. It it was a muddy day. It was rainy. It was, it was, we all fell at the beginning and it was just pouring. We, you know, the gun went off. I have a video. We all fall. And I remember right when that happened, I was like, Like, okay, that's it. Yeah. I was totally (laughs) checked out. And on the team, there was, I was usually second at that point, but there was some other good runners behind me and I did not care. I'm like, they can take it. They can take this one. Have fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And yeah. They, they passed me. And I'm like, I'm like giving yeah. them thumbs up as they're, so I was just checked out. So I couldn't tell you where I was recruited from because I would read the letter, see that it was a recruitment letter and throw it away. Started college and I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not running. And, you know, as February, March of freshman year came, I'm like, oh wait, I kind of miss it. And I, I would see the team, the cross country team around campus and they seemed so close and they see, like, I just loved seeing them run. And I was like, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I remember when that used to be me. I remember when that was me. And so, you know, I reached out to the coach. I was like, you know what? I, is there any possibility that I'd be able to run? I can do some time trials if you want to like do anything like that. And she ended up looking at my high school times and she said that I could do it. Then that coach ended up leaving before really onboarded, but then the grad assistant took over and he's been the most amazing coach. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And so sophomore year started, you know, it was kind of, it was really fake because we were remote. So oh. we just kind of had to do our own thing. As we got to move on to campus for the second semester, I started to realize I was on these emails and it was now no longer a 20 person email. It was, you know, a, a 50 person email. I'm like, this is for track and I'm not on the track team. And so I reached out to the coach. I'm like, I don't think I'm supposed to be on this email. And he called me he was like, I know you you don't do track and you've never done track, but you know, we have a spot for you if you want to do it. And so I was like, okay, I'll get back to you. And so I kind of thought about it more and, you know, I just decided I'll try it. If I don't like it, I'll stop. But I was kind of an accident. I, yeah. I kind of joined by accident. I was just on the email list. Yeah. Um, that's, that's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> As a runner, I like to track way more than cross country. The precision of it, a track is a track. So maybe the weather's different, but one track isn't hilly and one track isn't muddy. And the number part of my brain when it comes to running, I, I loved track and I was better at it. I would decimate people on the track that would decimate me in cross country. So mm-hmm. it was one of those. I have to imagine for you too, it, it wasn't the continuation of something. Like when you look at how you felt about running coming out of high school. So your first cross country season, you're running at home in bow, you know, on your own, whenever, as much as it wasn't fun, you could ease into it that way. Yeah. And then you really get into running, doing it in a way that you've never done it before. It's funny because now I do strictly, well, I did do strictly like distance stuff for track. Like I do steeplechase and then 5k. It was all distance. But that first time I did track, I was doing like the 800 and the 1500, which looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I did the 800. But I was just trying things that I well, never yeah. tracked before. <laughs> That's funny. You can probably do the same pace. You could probably do your 800 pace for like the first half of your 5k. That's how I yeah, remember no. you. Like not sprinter speedy, but fast for a long time. I always say, if I'm not the fastest one, I'm the most consistent one. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Another episode that I really liked of yours, and I think it was just recently, or maybe your last one was the one on imposter syndrome. I had this therapist who was wonderful and she made me draw a picture of my inner self. Like what does Barb really look like? Because what Mm -hmm. she saw was a really successful cross country coach, a really fast runner. I was well-known in Concord. Like what she saw and knew of me before she was my therapist showed her a very confident, you know, whatever. And so I drew a picture of, I used to call her Fifi. My friend Polly and I call her inner child Fifi, but I drew a picture of a, of like a little girl sitting on the floor with her knees bent up 
in her arms around her knees, you know, and resting mm-hmm. her head. And she just looked at it and looked at it. So when you did your imposter syndrome episode, that came back to me like crazy. Like we put on this front and we go out into the world and, you know, sometimes you have to, if I'm coaching a CrossFit class or a group of teenage girls, I have to stand up there. Like I know what I'm doing, but I don't always feel like I know what I'm doing inside. What was your impetus for, for talking about that? And again, the fact that you're 22 and you're talking about this stuff is just such a good thing because I wasn't talking about this stuff until like two years ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think especially in the past few months, I've experienced imposter syndrome more than I probably ever have. And I preface this in in my episode, I'm like, I say these things not to brag because a lot of them come from accomplishments that I feel kind of like, oh, I I didn't deserve that. But, you know, it started when I was applying to occupational therapy school and I kind of already decided on Regis and that's ultimately what I decided to do. It makes the most sense with, you know, housing and timeframe money. It just, it just makes the most sense, but I ended up getting into Tufts, but I remember I got the email and I was like, Oh no, they sent me the wrong email. Like that, like that was my first, I, I wasn't like, Whoa, I got into Tufts. I was like, I was like, Oh no, they like, this is supposed to go to someone else. That was the first time. I, and then I had to read it through. And I read like dear Elizabeth Parker. And it was like, I was like, okay, it's for me, but maybe I'm supposed to be, maybe this is supposed to be rejected. Maybe it's the wrong thing. I just like, yeah. did, I you couldn't no... accept that you were good enough to get into Tufts. Yeah. And right. so, you know, that was the first time where it was a really big back and forth. That was the first thing of kind of my imposter syndrome downhill spiral. And then the next one was, you know, different track accomplishments. We had our New England's for indoor track in February and I was a part of the DMR and we went to New England's to break the school record. And I was the, I was the 1200 leg. Yeah. My favorite. That's my favorite. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was first, I got the baton around and then, you know, I'm kind of waiting. I'm like watching the clock, watching the track, you know, it's, have you ever been to the track in New Balance? Yes. Yeah. So beautiful track. Time is right there. So like really just looking at everything you know, the next person gets around, the next person gets around, and then it's the last person she's doing the mile. And it's like cutting it close. It's like, oh, she kind of has to pick it up, but we could do this. She's really picking it up. And then she finishes and me and the two other girls were like, she did it. And we looked at the clock and it looked like we got the school record by three seconds. Oh my God. Yeah. And so, and so we were so happy. And then we looked at, you know, the finish line kind of no one reacted like the coaches didn't react our other teammates didn't react and and then I looked at the you know the stands and my friends on the team who were watching from the stands they kind of were the same reaction of us they were happy but then they saw no one else was reacting they were like and I see them looking up the old record to make sure you got it right yeah and so we the three of us went over to our coach and then the mile leg and we're like oh nice job you did so because at this point we didn't know so we're like just like okay let's just talk about her race. And I remember being like, oh, you, you picked up the speed so much. That was awesome. Like, that was great. Nice. And then we kind of just waited. And then one of the other girls was like, did we get it? And our coach was like, yeah, you got it. And we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, well, was, gee, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it was the most like anti-climactic yeah, yeah. ever. So I, I was like, oh, okay. This is weird. You know, we got off the track and into like the stance. And then finally, like my friends who were in the stands are like, oh, so like then I was able to be happy but like when that first happened I'm like oh what's happening right and then like the next track accomplishment was I ended up getting second in steeplechase outdoor for our conference meet and it wasn't a very big race I think there was 
six or seven people in it. You know, it's kind of a niche event. I got second. And the first thing I thought of when I got my medal, I'm like, oh, well, there was only, you know, six or seven people in the race. Like I didn't have to beat that many people to get second. But rather than being like, oh, this is, I got second. Only one person was ahead of me as opposed to five behind you. I was like, oh, I I only beat like a few amount of people. So, you know, I think a lot of times with my accomplishments, it's always like, oh, well, it's not really me. It's just that there was a downfall of others. And like, it's been kind of the theme of, you know, imposter syndrome for me is like kind of just squashing my own successes. Well, and I think, I think that plays into the sense of ego and how are you humbly accepting how great you are? Some people could care less what people think. Like in terms of running, when I try to put myself in that situation, I would have been like, you know, what the hell you should be cheering for me. Like my personality, I would have been like on your feet, hands together because I, you know, that's my reaction. But, but those feelings of like, did we not get it? it? That would be really a troubling way to feel after a, an event. What I notice about you and I'm, as I'm listening to you talk and I'm thinking about all the different ways that I know you, you were always very deferential, which when it comes to little girls, we support that. Oh, you should defer. Mm-hmm. You should be polite. You should be kind. Yeah. You should say thank you, even if you don't like your present and grampy wants a hug, please give him a hug. You know, like uh, sometimes I, I see, I see it less so in, in younger generations or the younger generations are figuring it out sooner. But you've mm-hmm. always been the the deferential type, like quick to give somebody else the credit and the first one to take the blame, even though mm-hmm. the credit's yours and the blame isn't. It's good to be able to call that out. I remember my high school track coach, Mr. Ludi, he actually trained us. This is how this is how different reality was. But when I was getting really good and I was gonna, you know, hopefully run fast and all this, he's like, look, when you start to get good, it's easy to get full of yourself. So when you, if you win a race and you know, like a state meet and you take a victory lap and he taught me how to do it, you collect yourself, you come over, you give me a hug or shake my hand or whatever. You wave at people, you maybe hug somebody that's right there that you know, and then you jog your easy lap and you wave and say, thank you. And I'm like, oh, like he taught it to us, you know, like, so I actually am appreciative of that just because I had some pretty amazing races where I could have gotten quite heady, but I also know that why are we taught to be quiet? You know, why can't we do the touchdown dance and, you know, scream the expletives when great things happen? So it's just an interesting, that example of the imposter syndrome piece is good. But I also think we are, I don't know why it has to be called a syndrome because I think all of us have it. A good Mm -hmm. friend of mine would always say, don't compare your insides to everyone else's outsides. And that's imposter syndrome, all the negative self-talk. One of the biggest things I've learned in all my spiritual mentoring after Molly's death, for five years, six years, every day, a hundred times a day, I would say, I hate myself. I hate myself. I hate myself because I just couldn't separate myself from all that had gone on. It was a long time. And I had, I couldn't take the word hate out of it for a long time. So then I went to, I hate my life. And then I went to, I hate that I hate my life. It took me so long to just let go of the word hate because it protected me somehow. I could prove everybody right. You know, like sometimes imposter syndrome can do that to us as well. And I don't see that in you so much, you know, inside you think, oh, I suck. So then when you do suck, well, see, I suck. You know what I mean? Like when, when the bad thing happens, of course it, of course I suck. See, everyone's right. It's honestly, it's a defense mechanism. And I think especially that happened to me a lot in cross country because we're all running the same race. We're all doing the same thing. And so I'd kind of put it out into the universe. Like, like, we'll see if I even do well at this one. I don't know if, I don't think this is going to be like my race. So then if it is my race, oh, what a happy surprise. But then if it's not, I'm like, well, I said it first before anyone else goes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
it. It's a total defense mechanism. These are things I'm sitting here talking to you about these things. This is what I like about growing up, by the way. One of my best friends, Bethany, I met her when she was six. She was in, in my first grade classroom. And now she's in her, you know, almost 40 and she's one of my best friends. And we can be because we're both mothers and we have a life history together. And once you're sort of an adult, what does it matter really, the age? And all my as we get older, our friends lessen, right? So you have to have younger friends. I love having this conversation because I've spent my life working with young people. Always, always, always. The way that you can continue to get better is to learn from those who you think you taught or who you teach. This aspect of life is profound to me sometimes. Like I look at Jack. Now he's a little boy and I try... I try to just treat them humanly. You know, there's gender differences. Little boys and little girls are very different, but it doesn't mean they should be judged or held accountable in different ways. Do you know what I mean? Like they're just babies. But when Gracie and Molly would have like temper tantrum, don't be mad, stop crying. Like we get dictated how we're supposed to feel at that time. And all that does is Gracie still apologizes when she cries. I think a lot of us do. I did a whole podcast episode on that. You did too, didn't you? I think I also did, yeah. Yes, actually you gave me the idea. And then, so I I remember filming Jack who was crying and I put it to music and made a little reel about it. But I never tell him not to cry. I just say, Jack is crying. Is Jack angry? Is Jack sad? Maybe it sounds hokey, but you know, when we're taught as babies that it's not okay to feel a certain way because it's not the right time or it's not the right setting. I think the tender ones among us will never be certain that they should be feeling how they're feeling. And I would definitely see that in you. But that crying episode was a good one. The other episodes that I really liked, and you've done a couple of them, are your journal episodes where you go Mm -hmm. back, like you find journals from different times in your life and you read these little, you just turn the pages and read something. Journal entries are the most revealing things. And I remember once sending Molly and Gracie up to clean the playroom and, and they were up there forever. And I walk up and the playroom's a disaster. And I'm like, what the heck? And they were in their bedroom on one bed with this bin, which was full of all their little journals. And they were just like dying, laughing, rereading like kindergarten and all their journals. And so what gave you the idea to do that one? I don't even know. Me and Haley, we, when we're bored, sometimes we read our old journals and they're so funny to look back on because I feel like I was much more emotional when it came to my journal entries. You know, I'm very like angry. I'm very like dramatic, but hers are just so funny because they're so blunt. It's like, I'm going to Kristen's house. We played together. It's it's so like- it just It's like a list of what happened. And, yeah, and, and but like the way it's like, we ate grapes. Like, it's just like, it's so funny the way it's like so matter of fact. You know, we would, similar to Gracie and Molly, we would laugh together about these journal entries. And so I think the first one I did, we, we did it together. We decided to right. read them together. And yeah. so, yeah, I think just doing it alone and realizing this is so funny, maybe other people would enjoy this too. My boyfriend came over the other day and I was reading them and we were dying laughing because it was, dad is such a hypocrite because he yells, and but he tells me it's just like so dramatic. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I love it. So the, Gracie and Molly would have been, Gracie would have listed everything and Molly would have been like, and furthermore, like she would have gotten yeah. on the soapbox. Do you find like when I go back and read my journals from when I was little, I mean, I had a lot going on in my life that was unhappy. And so I can see the, duplicity of my life, even when I'm little, when I'm summarizing something that was fun or summarizing something at home, like I look at it and I'm like, oh my God. Like sometimes I look back and I have all this foreshadowing that if I could have stepped outside of my 10 year old self and said, look, (laughs) don't go this way. Like it would have been so helpful. When you look at Haley's journal entries and yours, do you feel like that makes sense based on how you are now? Oh yeah. We're both pretty logical people, Yeah, but she's a lot more I think like A to B when I'm a little bit more 
A to F yeah. to D to B. Like I'm a little yes. bit more all over the place. Yeah. You know, I think she's more black and white, not in a bad way, but she's, you know, very logical that way. And I'm a little bit more gray. We can definitely see that in our journal entries. And when I read my ones from junior year, that was a pretty low point in my life. And I, I just want to give myself a hug. I'm like, it's, yeah. it's going to be okay. Junior year of high school is like, everyone's like, oh, senior year is so emotional. No, 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 no. Junior year is the junior worst. It, it, everything is packed into that year. And yeah, then you it's think awful. it's the last year. I know what I'm doing next year. And then I won't know. And, you know, we should just take a break from junior year. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's terrible. There's so much pressure. There's so much preparation for everything. Yep. You know, it's funny, COVID. So being on a school board, education is so different. So the biggest difference is a lot of the younger kids have all these like emotional issues, like social emotional learning is a huge priority now and trauma and like the behaviors are so escalated. But at the high school level, what's happened, and I think it's because high school kids, you know, when you're little, you listen to the grownups because you're little. And when you're in high school, you've got enough behind you that you can make pretty good decisions for yourself some of the time, right? Middle school, you're too old to listen and too young to know what to do. So you have this, Ugh. but the kids that were freshmen and sophomores in high school that are now, I think the last class is graduating. These kids have a whole new way of approaching education. Like, you know, you can do like community learning credits, like extended learning ELOs, but it's extended learning opportunity. And if you, if you have a class and you look at the competencies of the class and you can figure out another way to show that you have competency, you can do that instead of sitting in the class. And so a girl that comes to mind, well, Gracie McHugh, she did this whole project, like an English project. And she wrote a book on how to become an LNA. If you're mm -hmm. in high school, like steps to follow and things to consider and resources and all. So she didn't have to go sit in class two and a half days a week. She, she simply put this together. Right. The number of kids who were taking an approach like that to learning, I think in some ways it can take, can take some of that, get up at seven in the morning, go to school all day, pressure off because you have a chance to do something different. Not that she necessarily made her schedule lighter. She does a million things, but so you did the remote learning in COVID and I don't know how much you have to do for online learning at Regis. A lot of colleges make you do some online stuff, but educationally speaking, like, so you're going into your grad school year and all, but do you have a before COVID and after COVID version of yourself when it comes to academics and work and structuring your time and how you feel about that stuff or yeah. not so much? Oh, I think so. You know, when I was a freshman in college, I think the workload, it was a whole new realm for me. I'd always done good in high school and I tried in high school, but I didn't try like it, it didn't I didn't need to put in like extra extra work but when freshman year of college came and I was, took my first anatomy class I was like oh my gosh and I had to go to like I went to these study groups and tutoring and trying to like you know just get it all under control and it was kind of a culture shock freshman year and then you know COVID happened and I go back that second semester sophomore year it's kind of a mix of remote and in person but something clicked for me that year. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was, I finally found what works for me for studying because what works for me is different than what works for other people right? and vice versa. Some of my friends, they can look at the PowerPoint and they just read it and they comprehend it. And yeah. that's, that's not how I, I, I need work. To hear. Yeah. And so I'm a big like flashcard and like Quizlet and making my own quizzes. So like, that's how my brain works. But it wasn't really until then that it clicked for me. Since then, college has 
kind of been smooth sailing for me. Like I, I, you know, obviously I have to put in a lot of effort for, you know, certain exams and, you know, getting like time management and stuff with everything going on, but something clicked that year and it's been working ever since. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. The biggest thing for me in college was the time management piece. You know, in high school, you get up, you're at school seven hours a day, eight or nine hours or 10 hours if you do a sport or an activity. And then you go home and you still have all that homework and whatever else you might be doing. And I remember when I got to BU, I'm like, wow, I have Tuesdays off completely. Like I didn't have any classes on Tuesday. So that part was like, oh my God, this is great. Then I had like, you know, freshman bio. So, okay, read chapters one through three. So I go to class two days later and I've only read like chapter one. I figure we have like, all right, read chapters four through six. And I'm just like, wait, wait, wait. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't believe how fast it was. So I, so I realized, okay, Tuesday is the day that I go to the library and I spend all day reading and taking, you know, cause yeah. it was not no online back then. There was no interwebs when I was at BU. Yeah. It was all textbooks and handwritten notes and typewriters. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> the time management piece has always been an issue for me. And it still is as much as I have the brain of like an entrepreneurial go-getter and, you know, I'm smart and I can, I can speak easily. I need a punch card. If I don't have to punch in at eight, I don't get started. You know, like, so external structure has always been helpful for me. When I create my own external structure, I'm not, I'm, I'm still not good at it. I put too many things in or too many of the things I don't want to do. And I just shoot myself in the foot again and again. But my point here is created so much self-structure for people. So now you have all levels of self-structure that I find a lot more leeway when I'm 10 minutes late for a school board every single Monday, because even though I know it's at 530, I try to cram too much in. People just realize that the fluidity of life is different for someone like you that's structured and organized. Well, I feel you are. I I think that could be difficult at first, but I also think it could be like cortisol decreasing. Oh, I remember when I started college, I too had like a free day and I was like, what am I supposed to do with like, yes. it? It to be out more. I yes. wanted to fill my time. And because I was so homesick, I'm like, time to think. I don't, I don't want to be alone and think. Yeah. And so I constantly want to fill my time. And so I'd have FOMO if I was doing something alone or if I had free time and other people were doing something. And so after COVID and then, you know, now integrating a sport into my college schedule it helped a lot. But now I like, when I get free time, I'm like, oh, this is great. I love this. And so it made me look at free time a lot differently rather than kind of fearing it. It's funny as junior year and senior year went on, if people were hanging out and I didn't want to, I'm like, no. And I I never got that fear of missing out because I was like so comfortable with like myself and my relationships. Yeah. That's such, that's such a weight off that constant worry of what am I not doing that I should be, or what am I missing out on? I remember feeling, yeah, those feelings wait till you're my age. You just won't give a crap about anything. (laughs) It's kind of like the best part about getting old. Like, you know, (laughs) what are your plans for your podcast? Are you going to continue doing it? Are you going to change it up? Are you going to try to make it bigger? Like when you think of continuing it, what are your thoughts on it? I'm going to continue it as long as people listen, as long as I still get people that are interested, I'll continue it. I mean, it's always a goal for mine to kind of get back into that structure that I once had. Hopefully this summer I can try to do that more. I have a little bit more free time. Like I said, I kind of want to revamp, but honestly, I don't have too many like big, big plans just because it's a humble podcast. It's I, I get people that are, you know, interested in it and that's enough for me. And so, you know, just continuing doing what I doing, what I'm doing, I'm kind of 
amazed that I've been able to come up with as many topics as I have been just because they kind of just come to me when and I, I write them down. I kind of have a, a whole list waiting. The world needs storytellers. And so when, you know, I'm taking this sort of storytelling class and one of the biggest messages is you can find a story anywhere. You can be at the grocery store and something can happen and you can make an entire episode out of the line in the grocery store, you know, because something happens that triggers a memory or whatever, or relates to something else. You also don't use your podcast to sell anything, which I don't either. A lot of podcasts that I listen to, the hard thing I have sometimes is the ending of the podcast is always, hey, sign up for this or join this. And I don't ever want to attach my podcast to something I'm selling because I just want it to be sort of a pressure-free place for people to listen because it's hard enough to listen to what I have to say. So I don't want to then, okay, you've just listened to this horrible experience I had now buy this, you know, like I can't stand that part. But I do think sometimes it's interesting. The podcasting community is very driven by sales. When I meet other people or have other guests, I have to say to them, look, I don't want you to spend half an hour of your interview plugging your product. I want you to talk about you because you're what will sell your product. People will find out, listen about you, and then they can go find your product. I don't want people to shut it off because they feel like they're being asked to buy something. I've had good growth. I think I have like 20,000 downloads, which is a lot to me, but not a lot compared to some people who get, you know, 50 or a hundred thousand downloads really fast. I don't want to make it about the downloads. Yeah. I'd I'd rather have a few people love it and just feel good about it like that. How did you come up with your little, you know, today's national toe fungus or whatever? The first thing that I was doing was, and I still do this, like a good thing that happened today. And that kind of stemmed from high school. I would always try to, whether it was in a journal, whether it was on a post, whether like in some way, write one good thing that happened to me right. that day. To stay in that day, gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. Even if the day was completely terrible and I, I failed a test, I had a bad race. I didn't make the school play, whatever it was, like I could find one good thing that happened. And it's funny. I, I read back on them and sometimes like, well, today was a really bad day, but that only means tomorrow can be better. Like it's <laughs> always like, like, I know it was a really bad day, but I kind of stemmed from that. So I have continued to do that, you know, however many years later. And then as far as the national day, I don't even know how that started, but I think that I wanted to do like one more type of like scheduled segment. And I had listened to a few podcasts where they had like a fact of the day or yes, a yeah. something like a quote of the day. And so I was like, maybe a cool one would be like a national day that I could like people could like listen to. Cause sometimes if I'm listening to the radio, if I'm reading something and it says the national day. I'm like, they have a national day for that. I'm like, yeah. it's, it's like, like, it's not like it's like whimsical and it yeah. it's, doesn't mean anything, but it's kind of just fun to, it's lighthearted. Yeah, no, to- I like it. I look forward to that part of it. You always end it with, I only just ever introduced myself. I've been thinking a lot about little things I can add in to keep it fresh and all. I always end it with, when I was teaching at Concord High, one of the PE teachers who became an assistant principal, he always did the morning announcements and always at the end of it, he'd be like, have a good day, everybody. And it it was just a nice way to sort of like, he always ended the announcements that way. And so the first episode I ever did, it just came right out of my mouth. And I was like, wow, I've kept that. And then the other piece I always do is be good to yourself first. And then after you're good to yourself, be good to someone else, you know, like self-care, community Mm -hmm. care, have a great day, that kind of thing. So tell a little bit about how your ending and what brought you to that, to end your podcast the way you do. In a similar way, you know, having that self-validation and self-love that a lot of us lack. I usually say like, you're beautiful. I'm rooting for you. 
even if whoever's listening, if they feel no one is rooting for them or if they feel that no one is validating them, at least I can be the person that is rooting for them and that they have at least one person on their side. And if that person's me, if I don't know them, then I'll still be on their side and I'll still be rooting for them. And another thing I say a lot, this one isn't so much scheduled, but a lot of times I'll say we're not robots. It's when I'm talking about like normal human feelings that we don't talk about. And I'll be like, we're supposed to feel that we're not robots. Yeah, (laughs) no, that is so true. That is so true. And especially, I know for me, going through all that I've gone through, I have a range of emotions. And oftentimes people see me and I can tell by the look in their face, they're like, oh no, because you know, what am I going to be upset about today? Or what am I going to be happy about or mad or whatever? But the biggest thing that's been always helpful for me, and I imagine you're similar in this regard, is when people just acknowledge how I'm feeling. Like I don't need advice. I don't need to be told it'll get better. So many things people want to say, but when somebody just says, I'll bet you're mad. Well, you know, go ahead and be mad then. I'm right here, mad with you or whatever. Like Eeyore sitting with Piglet, you know, Piglet sitting with email or Pooh or whoever sits down with him. But anyway, I just love that, that solidarity of this is how you're feeling right now. And on the earth today, probably a million trillion people are feeling the same way, you know, and taking away the stigma from it. So you're going into graduate school now and you're, you're in a place and you've, you know, taken all the things that you've talked about and put together. You know, when I look at the Libby that graduated from Bo and the Libby that graduated Regis, the self-growth is huge. Not that you weren't amazing then you were, but you were 18 and a high school senior. And and I have to say, when I look back on all of my athletes that you ran with all those girls, you're not the one I would have picked to do a podcast. And it's not because Mm -hmm. I don't think you have a lot to say. I just, that little standoffish, this can't be me. No, I agree. I think something that's really, that's really helped me grow in a lot of ways is the reminder to not compare my experience to others. I think it can go, you know, with starting college, it can go with starting a job. I can go, you know, I'm in such a limbo right now of post-graduation where there's so many different routes that people go, you know, I'm seeing people buy a house. I'm seeing people do grad school. I'm seeing people have a full-time job. I'm seeing people have kids and it's all these different ways that people that are my age are spending their life, but I have to be easy on myself and not compare my experience to others because my path is different than other people's. Well, and your path is your path. It says Libby on it, you know, and, and, you know, and it's so hard that part of you that doesn't think your path is worth it would obviously look at other people's path. Oh my God, that's such a better path. Well, yeah, but that says Susie on it and you're not Susie. And I have to tell myself that all the time. So your podcast is called Okay Yep. And is it everywhere? You can find it on all the- It's everywhere. You can find a podcast. Do you have social media for it? I do. There's, I have an Instagram for it and that's just Okay Yep Podcast. I do have a website, okayuppodcast at wordpress.com. Well, Libby, I'm wicked psyched that you were willing to come here and be my very first guest. Sometimes life is just a big circle. Come back. So I'm glad. Thank you so much. So people listening, you need to listen to Okay Up. It's a very refreshing version of life and struggles. And Libby does a really good job keeping it listenable. You're a good storyteller, by the way. So I'm going to tell Libby what I tell all of you. Libby, be good to yourself today. Do something good for yourself. Then do something nice for someone else. And as always... Mm -hmm. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks, Libby. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting the podcast. Feel free to leave a review and to share my stories with your friends. Please reach out with your own stories. I love connecting with my listeners. If you want to see what I'm up to next, you can find me on Instagram at Barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, a thousandtinysteps.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, a weekly way to find out what's up 
in the life of Barb Higgins.